Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Bad in Bed. I'm Bobby Box, and I'm here again with Gabrielle Cassell. In today's episode, we are talking about sex and disability with the one and only Andrew Gerza, who is a disability awareness consultant and one of the most sex-positive individuals I've ever known. excited to have Andrew on. I know that you interviewed him for an article recently, mm. but I have been a longtime follower of his on Twitter. And so the fact that we get to talk to him is very exciting. Yeah, honestly, I first I knew of Andrew before I took my sex ed certification course, but he was actually one of the presenters. Oh, wow. And Yeah. So like, since we're both, you know, sex journalists, I was kind of like, taking the course, I was like, I know most of this information already. It's just kind of like rehashing the information, which is also useful, you know, to bring Mm -hmm. it up again and keep it fresh. Mm -hmm. But uh, Andrew's presentation really hit home because it was something that I'd never heard of before because that information isn't really available to us. Right. I mean, both of us are able-bodied. And so not only is the information not available to us, but we don't have to think about it because the world is built for able-bodied folks. Exactly. So his presentation was just so eye-opening. And I was so interested right off the get-go that right after the presentation, you know, his presentation had his email at the end, emailed him a second after his presentation was like, I need to speak with you because I think what you said is so important. And as somebody who is steeped in sexual culture, I had never heard of this experience before, you know, and I think it's important that people hear about it. So what was the article that you ended up interviewing him for? So it was for Extra Magazine, which is a queer uh, publication in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And um, I just wrote about his, basically what he said in the presentation and his experience in becoming, you know, a disabled queer man who, has become this outspoken advocate in an, in an, a category that, you know, it's very, there are many now that I've found through Andrew disabled folks who are teaching sex ed, but Andrew was kind of my introduction to that community. Mm-hmm. So um, what happened was it's a funny story. Uh, we reached out, found out he's in Toronto as well. So we both live in Toronto. Oh, neighbors. Yeah, like maybe a five-minute cab from each other. So it's very, we're very close. So the pandemic happened, obviously. So we're planning on hanging out once this is all over. But um, I found out that he's an advocate for sex work for disabled people because he thinks that, you know, they do have medically assisted sex work, like uh, assistance to help people get mm-hmm. off but mm-hmm. um he's like i just want to find a hot guy and fuck and i'm like you know preach yeah say so, it yeah so i wanted to write about that and i ended up finding out that the sex worker he works with is one of my best friends oh my gosh so, what a yeah. small toronto right? queer world god damn is anyone who lives in toronto knows how small our community is but it was just so funny because i was like oh, can you tell me the name of this person? Like, I don't have to publish it or anything. And then he said the name and it was my good friend, John Shield. He's in the article, so he's comfortable having his name mentioned. And um, so I just, I got to speak to both of them, each on their perspectives on this, uh, you know, sexual experience they've had right. together. Right. And it was just so like, 
you know how sometimes I'm sure you feel this way. Sometimes you publish an article and you're like, I think I did something with this. Like, I think this Mm. can help people or like Mm. people will learn from this. It was just one of those. And I was like, I'm so, so proud to publish this. And Andrew was like, so open and so vulnerable with me. It was just, it was, it's honestly, I think one of my favorite articles I've ever written. Wow. Well, I hope that this podcast episode ends up being our favorite podcast episode ever recorded. I think it just might be. Let's bring him on. Let's do it. Andrew Gerza is a disability awareness consultant, the co-founder and chief disability officer of Handy, the first brand to ever release a line of sex toys for disabled people, and the host of the incredibly insightful podcast, Disability After Dark. Welcome, Andrew. Yay, thank you for having me. Uh, Would you mind sharing what your disability is for uh, the listeners? Yeah, my disability is, well, I have a few. My primary disability is cerebral palsy, so that for, for me that means brain damage at birth, um, basically means I didn't get enough oxygen when I was born. And for me, that means I'm a full-time power wheelchair user, um, which is why I like to say jokingly that I'm a power chair top. Uh, <laughs> and, and I also live with um, invisible disabilities like depression and IBS and stuff like that. We wanted to uh, ask like, Actually, a good question to start off based on what you've said already is how do you think gay bars in the community could be more um, embracing of people with disabilities and easier to access? I, I It's also a loaded question. You know, I see this. Right. I see this all the time when we talk about HIV and AIDS and we do all these fundraisers and we do all this like bike from San Francisco to this place or bike from like Toronto to Montreal. or like We see this all the time in, in, in queer activism. And I always think like, why couldn't we do the same to make sure that all the bars are accessible? Why couldn't we have like, you know, a go-go dancing drag queen night or something where like we do all the same stuff that we would do to make sure that there are ramps and there are elevators and there are, there's access to these places. And, you know, it's not only the physical access that I need to get in those bars. The people that go to those bars need sensitivity training on how to properly engage with a disabled person because the ableism that we experience in those places like, I'll give you an example. When I lived in Ottawa and I went to school there to do my undergrad, I went to one of the, the only gay bars in town that was open, and I would go every Friday and Saturday night hoping to suck a dick. Um, <laughs> never did, yeah. but it was a dream of mine. Um, <laughs> and so I would go hoping to, like, you know, get laid or meet somebody or, or yeah. fuck or whatever, like we all wanted to do. And I remember being there one night, and I was on the dance floor dancing and just trying to meet people and trying to, like, forced myself into this group that didn't clearly didn't want me there. And I was there and one of the drag queens kind of sidled up to me on the dance floor and said, Oh honey, you need to leave you need to get off the dance floor. You're in the way. We've had complaints that you're in the way. And I remember kind of just looking at this coked out queen being like, Okay, I'm gonna leave, but I don't I'm not happy. Like and I was so hurt because I was like I I I'm here like everyone else is. Like what the fuck? What like why would you say that? So those experiences, and you know, I've, I've been to one or two bars in Toronto um, since I moved here, and it just has not been a happy experience. I never quite felt like I fit in. When I've been in bars, not only am I there trying to physically get around, but I have, right. you know, really sexy looking gay men giving me like weird dagger eyes, like, why are you here? And so it's like, well, why am I even, why do I want to do this? So I've reached this point where. Gay bars don't feel like a place I want to engage. Like that whole part of the community right. it feels, the idea feels nice, 
and the idea feels like fun and sexy. But then when I get into like the reality, I'm like, oh, I'll just stay home. Like it's, I'll just stay home. It's easier. Right. Like the, the reality never really matches with the fantasy in your head. I, I moved down here five years ago and it was my dream to move down here. Cause I was like, if I move down here, like I'll get to suck all the dicks and I'll be in like Toronto and I'll be right downtown and all the men will come to me. Cause it's easier because mm-hmm. where I was living before nobody would want to come an hour and a half North to like right. it totally hang out. So I was like, if I move, I'll have the, all this opportunity. And I remember being so excited because it's like, yeah, they're going to see me and I'm going to be down there. It'll just be easier. And then mm. I kept brushing up against ableism and I was like, well, this is not what I wanted. Like, like, and I, I live down here now and I'm happy here, but like right. part of me is like, I might as well just move back. Cause I didn't, the dream that I had of like meeting all these dudes and having this queer life that I want didn't come to reality. I want to know if, so it sounds like gay bars aren't the place that you're going to meet potential partners or hookups. Are there physical spaces or online spaces that you found are accessible to disabled folks and that like foster a space in which disabled folks can find fuck buddies? Not really. I mean, if I'm honest, not really. Like there are so few spaces and well, Grinder and Scruff and those places are more accessible because they're digital. Like I said, I still don't feel comfy there. I don't feel like I really fit there. I'm never going to fit the ideal of what a of what a, a gay man is supposed to be, which is partly why I you know, started using different pronouns like they and he, because I was like, well, if I don't fit, I may as well just embrace the whole other side of it. And so like, I just felt like, no, there aren't a lot of spaces that are that are super comfortable. So actually, you mentioned ableism. Uh, could you explain what ableism is? Ableism, for anyone who doesn't know, ableism is the is a system of discrimination used to keep disabled people out of the spotlight and down. So when we make jokes about, for instance, when we make jokes about, like, um, Donald Trump not being able to hold the cup or Donald Trump, you know, being inept as a president because he's got mental issues, that kind of stuff is ableism. And then... The way gay men tend to tend to weaponize that is saying stuff like, oh, and I, I call this sexual ableism. So they'll say stuff like, oh, does your dick work? Can you get an erection? Can you get hard? And they'll say this to you as they're going down on you. And it's like, well, this, well you know, I could have, but then you said that. And now I don't want to. Um, <laughs> totally. Took you right out. Yeah. And so, like, there's a whole bunch of facets of ableism. But basically... It's the discrimination against disabled people because they're disabled in favor of able-bodied people. Right. So as a result of everything that's kind of this, these shitty experiences you've gone through, um, you've, you've taken to um, hiring uh, escorts in order to, you know, have the hot sex you've always desired. So yeah. how is that kind of like, how is a typical uh, session with you two like? It's more like we hang out, we chat, we joke around, we laugh, we play, we just make each other laugh a little bit. And then it'll turn into, you know, let's go make out in your room, let's go fuck. And so, like, but it's so much more than that. I think, like, because we're so comfy with each other, it's, I would say it's, and I, I have said for the piece that you wrote about it, it's, it's the best sex of my life. And it's, it's something that I'm very proud of because he understands that I'm a disabled person and before working with me, he never worked with a physically disabled person before. And I remember when I initially hired him, 
I said, have you ever been with a disabled guy before? And he said, no. And I was like, oh, that's great. I get to teach him. And from the beginning of our our working relationship, like he's been he's been very open about what he doesn't know. He's been very open about learning about the fact that I'm disabled and not not letting it stop what we do. Like we've worked together so well. We were in a porn together. And so like we, you know, we've done a lot of stuff together, not only as sex worker and, work, and client, but also just as friends. And so I think that the relationship for me is really important because it's, and I've had other workers where it is just, I'm going to come in, I'm going to suck your dick, I'm going to fuck you, and then I'm going to, they're going to leave. And that's not, for, for me, that doesn't, it doesn't feel super great. Like, it, that's, it's fine if that's the way you want to run your escort business and if that's what the client wants, fine. But for me, because of my needs and because of needing help to get in and out of bed and positioned and, like, undressed and redressed, it needs to be more an emotional experience. And with John, right. I think, you know, and you know, and you know, John, you know what the kind of person he is. And so like, it's, yep. it's very easy to have that with him. And that feels great. Yeah. So like, as a result, you've kind of become an advocate for sex work. So like, you've mentioned to me before that you believe the government should fund sex work for people with disabilities. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit more? In places like Denmark and in Europe, they have stipends where they'll give people with disabilities, you know, a certain amount of money to use with, for whatever they want. And I feel like I feel like the government of Canada and other other places, first of all, sex work needs to be decriminalized. Not just yes. legalized, but decriminalized, period. And I just think like if we put for disabled people, if we put this money aside, and it doesn't have to be for sex work, but if they if they gave us like universal basic income or a stipend that I could use every month to do whatever I wanted then I can hire a sex worker without, you know, having to worry about, can I feed myself this week? It's not just, I'm going to fuck you. It's giving me an emotional release. Uh, it's, totally. It makes me feel connected to my sexuality, my masculinity, my my queerness in a way that, you know, I, I wouldn't get otherwise. And I've I tried conventional, I like Grindr and Scruff and all those places. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't, I would, it was again met with a bunch of ableism that I didn't have time for. So one day I was like, fuck it. I'd rather pay somebody and get exactly what I want and have a good time than worry about this bullshit. Andrew, it's clear that you're a sexual person. Yeah. And I feel like there's this like huge myth that this... this no, thing, really? Wow. <laughs> that I feel like there's this huge myth that all disabled <laughs> people are asexual or if they are sexual, submissive. I mean, what do you say to people who believe those misconceptions? Well, I would say first of all that there are disabled people who are who do define themselves and who do live on the asexual spectrum, and that's they they're valid too. Mm-hmm. And it's important to remember that they have validity in our community too, and they deserve to be given that space. But I think the overarching assumption that every single disabled person is asexual is actually just ableism. It's not a misconception. It's just ableism on its face. Like the only reason you think that is because you're afraid to engage with us sexually. You're afraid. You're afraid to consider what having a sex life with a disabled person might be like. That scares you because you've been fed a mythology around that if you have sex with us, you know you'll have a disabled kid, or if you have sex with us, you have to take care of us, or if you have sex with us, you're gonna have to do most of the work. And like, there's three things you can count in your life, and they're death disability and taxes and so like we need like disabilities to be a part of all of our story at some point 
And so we need to start talking about that stuff now because mm-hmm. when Bobby loses the ability to do something, at some point he's still going to want to have great sex. And I think like we need to yeah. talk about it now because it isn't something we should be afraid of. It, even, you know, like how you said that, well, actually, how do you feel about the submissive part? Is there... I like being is, submissive, yeah, frankly. Because um, <laughs> things I'll just note in my, in my brain for later. Um, <laughs> I, I like it because um, in my day-to-day life, when I'm dealing with care workers and attendants, I have to tell them everything that I need. And so the good thing about having worked with John for so long is that, like, when he comes in to have a session... Which really, it isn't even a session anymore. It's mostly us just being goofs it's like a for hangout. an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. But like when we when we hang out, it's like he'll literally say, "Shut up! I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna run this now." And I'm like, "Great, sure. I don't have to do anything. Awesome, good." Like, <laughs> and that makes me feel nice because I get to just kind of envelop myself in the experience mm-hmm. and not worry about, "Oh my god, I have to tell this person what to do. I have to like." teach them are they okay like i'm having all those thoughts internally anyway but i could just relax what are the types of conversations you like to have with someone prior to having sex with them as a disabled person uh that's a great question some i mean i like to make sure they're easy i like to i like to ask them you know have you had an experience with a disabled person before Mm -hmm. do you have any questions i really like to, to give them the opportunity to ask me all of the ableist things they might be thinking about because I think part of the problem with disability and sexuality is no one talks about it. So they might have all these misconceptions and they have had no one to explore them with. And here I am saying like, come over, suck my dick, but they don't know like what, they don't know how to have that conversation because they've never explored that. So I want to give them a bunch of opportunity to just ask me straight up, like, you know, how do we do this? How does it feel? What should I know? And give them a chance to be really upfront. And I mean, the kind of conversations I like to have are just really open. And as long, hopefully, it doesn't it doesn't you know end in them deciding not to have sex. But if it does, that's fine. But it, it gives me a chance to really explore what their needs are before we engage. And am I do I have the emotional bandwidth to to guide you through this? Right. If we're gonna fuck around, or or is it too much for both of us? Right. Like it sounds like almost that you feel like you have this responsibility to put them at ease before. Yeah. Which can be really frustrating. Cause like I said, sometimes I want to just fuck. Like I want, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to walk you through my needs today, but also at the same time, like I have to. So the good thing with John is that, like, now that we've worked together so long, if I said, get in the room, I want to fuck you now. Like he, he knows what to do and he knows what that entails for me. And I get to be, I get to let that side of myself out. Whereas if it's a new person that I've never worked with before, I have to be like, okay, here's how you do this. And then, <laughs> like right. when Bobby and I hook up, that's what I'll probably have to do. But, <laughs> but, um, I'm kidding. But, but, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes you just want to fuck. Yeah. And the conversation is just kind of like this. I don't need to have this. This is taking me out of the mood type of situation. So, Andrew, you've mentioned your experience on the apps. Can you um, kind of go in, like, give us a little more detail on what the experience is like as a disabled person? Like, are people generally rude or do you 
I mean, people are generally blasé yeah. on the apps, like especially right now. It's a lot of like, hey, hey, how are you? Oh, cool, you live miles away. Cool, like I guess we're not like, and you know, on a lot of the apps that I go on, I they're not local. They're like they live in like a totally different city, and it's just like it's almost this weird voyeuristic thing of like I just want to mm-hmm. see a hot dude or talk to a hot dude. So I'm gonna go on this app. Um, on in the cases where it's not been kind, like. I had the most recent really horrible one that I got was somebody was like, you should kill yourself. You're disgusting. Oh, my God. Why would anybody want you on the app? Like, you're gross, disabled. Nobody would nobody would want to be with you. Um, so that was pretty horrible. That doesn't happen very often. But I'll get things like, oh, what happened to you? And, again, it's all the same stuff that I get in person, too. But it's almost more violent on an app because that's how they start. The conversation like I wish they would say something like hey I've never been with a disabled guy before and I want to learn and I'm curious and then I could say great let me unpack this for you let's unpack this together um I just think that it's or I've had got the one of the funnier ones I had recently was I had a guy we're talking and he lived in the city and I was like maybe at one point we can like maybe we'll hang out and he goes yeah you're not active enough for me I'm only looking for an active guy. And I was like, what do you mean by... And I knew I knew where he was going. And I said, what do you mean by active? And I wanted him to, like, say the words. And he goes, well, you know, you know, because, I mean, you're you're in a wheelchair. And so, like, you're just not active enough. And I was like, oh, so you're using active to hide your ableism now? Like, and so, I mean, this just speaks also to, like, the gym culture that queer cis men have... are kind of forced into. Like, I'll tell another really quick story. When I... I was on an app a couple years ago and I was chatting to this dude and I wanted to fuck and so I was like, let's hang out some time. Because people are scared of my disability, I'm very forthcoming. I'm very like pushy on the apps because I know they're afraid and I feel like I have to break through. So a lot of my app persona, and I'm a shy, awkward bird that just wants to be loved, but my app persona and my public, like Andrew Gerza persona is very like aggressive when I'm really not that person. But I feel like I have to be because I know they're scared. So I said to this guy, like, let's fuck, let's hang out. And he goes, he goes, well, um, why don't we go to the gym sometime? And I said, oh, the gym is not really accessible for me. And he goes, oh, no, we could take you out of your wheelchair and we could work off your disability. And I said, <laughs> I said, excuse me? What do you mean? He goes, well, yeah, if we work hard enough, you wouldn't be disabled anymore. Oh, my God. And I kind of was like, I have to go. And I just clicked off and I never talked to him again, but I, I screenshotted that and I put it out there on my on my social media at one point because I was like, what is this ridiculousness? <laughs> like, going to the gym does not mean I will no longer be disabled. And, and also, the gym is not a place that I want to be. Like, it's not a happy place for me. So, I just feel like the stuff people ask is so, because especially queer cis men are so sex-focused and they want to fuck right now, and all they really want you for on those apps is they want you to be five minutes away and they want your whole and they don't care about anything else, which is fine. But like my sexuality and my needs don't adhere to that. I need something much more, you know, much almost romantic in a sense. I need something relaxed, chill, easy, fun. And the apps don't, you can't, like, if you say I'm looking for romance on the apps, all the guys are like, oh, you're too intense. It's like, well, no, I'm just looking for something a little bit real. Sorry about that. 
Can I ask, on the apps or even in real life, have you found that people fetishize your disability or fetishize the fact that you're in a power chair? Yeah, but I try to fetishize myself. So, like, my thing on the apps right now, my name on the apps is <laughs> Thick Dick Crip right now. Um, so like, I make fun of the fact that I'm disabled, and I, I do that purposefully so that it, it helps them put their guard down. Like, I know I'm disabled, and I'm very aware of it. And, like, so my... my my thing on my on the apps is like, come and touch my joystick. Like I, I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm trying to play with them so that they're comfortable mm. with me. I've had some guys tell me that they're into guys in wheelchairs. And you know, that doesn't that doesn't deter me. I actually on my show last week I spoke to a couple who are devotees and for anyone who doesn't know what a devotee is, a devotee is somebody who is attracted to a disabled person. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's I think it's dangerously fetishizing when they dehumanize you mm. and they take away your humanity and what you're doing. And like, like I'm attracted to, to also to trans men, but I feel really careful about how I see that because I don't want them to think that I'm like, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a delicate thing that when people say I'm attracted to a disabled guy, like they're like, Oh, is it okay if I said that? And it's like, well, yeah, right. as long as you don't dehumanize me, I'm good. I feel like a lot of your um, career has become education based because of, you know, yeah. there's a lack of any conversation about it, really. So like you've now that you work with Handy, I want to hear more about Handy and everything that you guys stand for and what you do, because it's so awesome. And I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah, I'm really excited about Handy. Handy is a is a basically the brainchild of my sister and I, who lives in Australia, my sister, the CEO. And oh, I didn't know Heather that. Morrison. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a family, it's a, it's a family okay. thing. And so we were in Australia one day where she lives and she, we were talking about stuff. She goes, she go, she just kind of, we were talking about stuff. And eventually she said, well, don't you work in sex and disability? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, what toys would work for you? Are there toys that work for you? And I kind of rolled my eyes and was like, look at my hands. Like, look how disabled my hands are. None of the toys work. Mm -hmm. And, like, I know Bobby, I know you, Bobby, do. You do sex toy review. And, like, I always look at your reviews and go, yep, that toy doesn't work for me. And so, like, I I said to her in this thing, I said, like, you know, none of the toys work. Like, they're a little bit ridiculous, whatever. She And so, very naively, she said, like, well, did you want to make a toy together? And I at first I was like, do I want to make a sex toy with my sister? That feels weird. <laughs> but, but then the more and more we talked about it and we put a, a survey out and 92% of the people we talked to said they wanted a toy like this. Oh, wow. Um, and 63% of the people that we talked to said they had trouble self-pleasuring and they had hand limitations. And we were like, well, why don't we create a toy around that? So we, we work with RMIT in Australia and Judith Glover, who's who has who has a PhD in, in sex design, she's one of the one of the leading sex toy design people in the world. And we just called email her and said, "What could we work with you?" And so we got involved with them, and we started designing a toy and talking to the disabled community to see what toy would work for them. And we come up we came up out with something that is in prototyping right now, but it's called the joystick, and it's basically a cross between a pool noodle and a body pillow. And the goal of it is to be completely hands-free because a lot of the toys on the market require penetration. 
They require a lot of hand dexterity. And if you don't have hand dexterity and you can't masturbate, those toys don't work for you. So we wanted something where a person could cuddle up to it and it would vibrate and then they could get off that way. Oh, Oh, okay. So is it like, it's just something that you would, it it kind of, um, you cuddle with it and then it kind of does the work. Is it like you hump a pillow type thing? Like that's how I learned it. I mean, or the pillow humps you or like, (laughs) and we're not sure with prototyping, it might all change, but we're hopeful that we can, we can also have a section of it where you could put your favorite toy in the middle of it and use so that, you know, because a lot of disabled people have spent all this money on toys that don't work and they have a bunch of toys in their closet and or their drawer that don't work. So we wanted a toy that hopefully can be can work for everybody. We're marketing it towards disabled people, but it's also for the elderly. It's also for right, that's people without disabilities who want to use their hand and just want to use their hands for different stuff. Like it's actually a toy for everybody. Is there a... Um estimated release date for it it's we're working on prototyping we're working on testing right now and getting people to like test what the prototypes are so i'm hopeful that maybe 2021 will still be a time we could release but it's i don't want to say yes or no because we're not sure yet what about the uh you've released a book yeah so along along with the toy we also released a book called the handy book of love lust and disability where we when we were doing all the testing, people would come to us with all these stories about how sex and disability feels for them. And we were like, well, you know, what if we took those stories and curated them into a book? So we got 50 contributors from all over the world with all varying different types of disabilities. And we asked them questions like, how does sex and disability with chronic pain feel? How does it feel to work with a sex worker as a disabled person? How does, you know, questions like, how do you feel about grief and loss as a disabled person during sex? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff that goes underneath the mechanics of sex and disability and goes way past that and says like, how does sex and disability feel? Because one of the conversations we're not having is the conversation starts and stops with how do you have sex? But what we're not asking is how does it feel to have Mm -hmm. sex? And you're doing such important work, honestly, like kind of the best. I know you absolutely are. (laughs) They're also super humble and super like. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any uh, thing you'd like to plug? I mean, you did the the book, but hey, let's do it again. Let's get all that stuff out there. I mean, sure. So please go buy the book at www.that'shandy.co. Um, also, on my personal stuff, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Andrew Gerza underscore on all socials. Um, you can also follow my work. You can hire me to do talks right now. I do a lot of digital education right now because of COVID. So I'd love for anybody who wants to hire me to go to my website and, and see if you have any talks coming up. I know Pride's coming up. So like if anybody needs a speaker, this is what I do. Um, also, you can follow my podcast, Disability After Dark, at all the places where you get a podcast. Um, it was a show about sexuality and disability, but now it's just a show about disability because I got bored. So you can can download that and we have new shows at least once a week, sometimes more if I I feel the urge to do more things. Um, And that's where you can get a hold of me. We talk Gender 101, Gender Dysphoria and Euphoria, 
the history of medicalization around trans bodies, and explore Clark's own story as an out and proud trans man. Gabby and I love this episode, and we know you will as well. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review while you're here. We promise we'll love you forever, 